This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hi. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. And guys... I was so lonely this time because I interviewed <laughs> our guest today all on my own. Aww. But it was fun. Sorry, how was it? <laughs> but how it, was it? How it, was it? It actually was really fun, but I have to say it's different because I'm used to asking a question and then I'm looking at volumes and I'm looking at the other questions and stuff like that. And because I'm used <laughs> to you guys picking up the ball, you know, running with it. And then I had to be like, oh, no, it's me. So it was fun. It's Kelly DiNardo and Emmy Pierce. Amy Pierce Hayden, excuse me. Their book is Yoga Sutra. They were so interesting, great talkers. They both run yoga studios remotely. They live in Madison, Wisconsin. They're great friends. Their mom set them up to be friends, uh, Kelly's Aww. mom, which is I just think is a, incredible. And uh, we were talking a lot in here about many topics, but I love this one particular topic, which was about habits. And when we think about habits, we always have the connotation that habits are bad. But actually, there's a thing as good habits and good habits to keep you healthy and sane and happy. And so I wanted to ask you guys, what are the good habits that you keep in your life? Habits are the secret to everything. Mm. Like, I fully 100% believe that. A couple of the habits that I'm really, really proud of and that I have had to work towards is, first of all, for me, it's, I mean, I have a habit of kind of like organizing my day around my workouts. Actually, that's not completely 100% true. More it's like I have a habit of looking at my day and then being like, where am I going to work out? And then how can I move things around? And my husband and I actually like every Sunday night, we're in the habit where it's like, all right, look at your calendar. I'm going to look at my calendar. When do you want to go to the gym? When do you want to watch Gwen? How are we going to do this? And we like map it out. And that's just part of our everyday life because if we go a few days without working out, that that's not okay. We, we don't, unless we're on vacation, like we just don't feel as great. So it's something we really enjoy doing. And then the other habit that I, I, I think has been so incredibly powerful for me and did take me a long time to get set, but it's really checking in with hunger and fullness levels. So it used to be where I would just kind of eat because it was time to eat or I thought I should be eating or I shouldn't be eating. Like it was all just kind of like wonky and weird, really based on kind of like diet culture kind of bullshit. And then now it is, you know, how hungry am I? What sounds good? Okay. And then have that. And then how full am I? Da, 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 da. But it's not anything that I have to focus on. I just, I just do it. It's like brushing my teeth and it's great. So a couple that I do that I think serve me really well is I've taken to first thing I do when I wake up before I have necessarily even like opened my eyes or anything is I spend about a minute um, repeating a phrase or mantra that I have chosen. And right now it's just a couple of words that indicate how I want to feel that day. But it changes depending on kind of what I've got coming up and how I've been feeling and what it is that I think I need in order to approach the coming day with as much, you know, badassery and awesomeness as I can. So I, I like that because then, you know, it's like literally like a minute 
And it just sort of helps me set a different tone. So by the time I open my eyes and I put my feet on the floor, I just feel better and stronger and, and more ready for whatever the day brings. Um, so I really like that. And that's something we, we interviewed Dina Welch last year, I guess. And that's something that she's, she's suggesting in one of her programs. So shout out to Dina. That has been working out really well for me. I like it a lot because I like habits that are very easy, you know? <laughs> and then I think my other thing is the, the first thing I do in the morning is I, I have a big glass of water before I have my coffee, before I do anything. I just, I'm a great water drinker in general. Um, when it comes to fitness, we're always talking about the things that we're good at. And you guys, mine are always like, I drink water and I sleep well. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Those are good habits to have. Those are really good things to have. I really do not feel like they're um, <laughs> they're really strong skills, but it's fine. <laughs> but people, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, it's so hard for me to get water. Or I can't sleep. Yeah, you know, that's true. It matters. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's hard for me is like running long distances and <laughs> um, working hard. But anyway, so those are those are a couple of mine that I think are really very simple. Don't take a lot of time or effort, but um, but seem to seem to be helping me each and every day. That's awesome. I, I'm really good at water too. I always have a pitcher of water. I always have bottles of water. I have, you know, glasses ready to go filled with water. I water, water, water all day. I was reading this biography about this uh, Carrie Fisher and she was someone who hated the taste of water and only drank Diet Coke like all day long. And I just, oh, and, oh. and I'm like the opposite of that. Like a sip of Diet Coke. I'm like, Ugh. I, I yeah. just, I, I love me some water and I wake up every morning like you. I want a big glass of water. I'm thirsty. I, um, my other good habits, I try to go to sleep at the same time every night. That's a good one. Without, you know, leaving that up in the air. And I try to set my meals for the week. You know, I really do try to meal plan. And that's been a good habit for me to stick with for a few years now. Just takes the guesswork out of it. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than it's like 7 o'clock at night and you're really hungry. And you just can't decide what to make for dinner, right? Yep. So you just make yep. poor choices. Yep. If I could make one habit stick, I think that that would be the one the like meal planning and really like sticking to that because I get in habits where I'm doing or get, that's not really the right word. Given our conversation, I get into like phases where I'm doing it really well and I'm enjoying it. And then of course, once it becomes more of a habit, it feels so easy, but then once it falls off either because of like travel or, you know, just had a busy schedule one week or whatever, all of a sudden getting back to it seems like the greatest, biggest slog I can imagine. <laughs> absolutely like it sounds so hard what's it so is hard funny how it? like know. sometimes i'll be so excited to like make a grocery store list i'll be like okay let's plan it out and i feel really good about it. other times i'm just like oh i have to make a grocery store <laughs> list i don't know um, why i don't know it's different i don't know why so have I, I don't know if i've told you guys this I, I feel like we must have talked about it but so i now in addition to to margo i also have an alexa device yay and, um, Yes, it's very exciting. And like my favorite thing is that you can add to your different lists on there just by saying it. So I have um, I have a grocery list. I have a target list. We have a, a hardware store list. And so it's just like as those things come to mind, instead of having to go and like and we keep it like kind of in our kitchen living room area. So as things come up where we're like, oh, you know, we're out of this or ooh, I want to make this, you know, this dish this week and I'm going to need these ingredients. 
I just say it right then. And then whenever it is that I happen to go to the store or if my husband is stopping by there on the way home from work or something, we can just pull it up on our device, on our phones, and look up that list and check it off as we pick those things up, which is awesome. That so. is amazing. And you can also listen to our show I was the Alexa. just going to say, there's a new podcast app on Alexa. It makes it even easier to listen to shows, and I keep on top of these things. So you just say, Alexa, play the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Because that's really the habit that everyone's just staring have, right? at me. Like every week, they're like, hey, Alexa. Yes. Listen to a healthy podcast, like the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. So it's on there. So, and it's so much fun to listen to. And I feel so famous when I can listen to us over the Alexa. I don't know why. <laughs> just feel like I've hit yeah. the big time. Just put on your big sunglasses. <laughs> My like, fake fur. Yes. Yeah. All right, so let's get into yeah, the interview today with Kelly and Amy. And you guys, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in Apple Podcasts, if you have a few minutes to leave us a review, we will read all of the five-star reviews on the air. And if you have any comments or suggestions, guest ideas, just want to say hi, hey, yo, whatever, you can email us at podcast at fitbumgirls.com. Let's get in today's interview. Hey, did you guys know that being an FBG podcast listener has its perks like free and discounted fitness classes at thousands of gyms and studios nationwide? Yep. Just go to classpass.com now and use the code FBGCP for your special offer. That's classpass.com and the code is FBGCP. Today we have two guests, Kelly DiNardo and Amy Pierce Hayden. They are the co-authors of Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, which is available on Amazon. Kelly DiNardo began her yoga training in 2003. She has studied with Cindy Lee, Charles Matkin, Rolf Gates, Sharon Gannon, and David Life. Oh, and also Amy Pierce Hayden. In 2009, she opened Past Tense Yoga Studio in Washington, D.C., she is also a freelance journalist who has written for several publications, including the New York Times, O oh, the Oprah Magazine, and others. She is a graduate of Cornell University. Amy Pierce Hayden discovered yoga at age 11. In 1995, her formal study of yoga began while she was working towards her BFA at DePaul University's Conservatory Professional Theater School. She opened the Raha Hatha School of Yoga in 2003, which offers both 200 and 500 hour Yoga Alliance recognized teacher training programs. Welcome to the show, Kelly and Amy. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. Having us in, in sync. And, <laughs> and thank you so much. And guys, it's me to solo today. I get to ask you all the questions for myself. I'm so excited. I'm going to be really greedy. So no, uh, yeah, no pressure, Margo. You have to play <laughs> the role of three people today. <laughs> all right. We're just going to jump right in. And please, let's just talk about your new book, Living the Sutras. Can you tell us what inspired you both to work together and what that writing process was like for you? Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's funny because this idea came to me out of perhaps not the finest yogic moment of my life. I had gotten a stack of books to look at for to review or to consider um, for stories or for you know resources in my, for as my as in my life as a journalist. And I got two of these books, and they looked pretty much the same to me, except one had the word yoga on it, and the other did not. And I got very self-righteous and indignant about the whole thing that anyone would slap the word yoga onto a book just to sell more copies, which is what it felt like to me, which may or may not have been the intention. And 
I stormed off to class very judgmental and self-righteous, which is exactly the right frame of mind for a yoga class. (laughs) (laughs) um, Amy was my teacher for the class and also my friend at this point. And she gave this really beautiful Dharma talk, which is the opening talk that happens at in, in many yoga classes. And it was on the sutras. And I thought, I'm sitting there on my mat still kind of steaming. And I thought, this is what a yoga book should be. And so when I, I let the idea kind of percolate. And then Amy and I had coffee one day. And I said, what do you think about this? And she said, I was like a light bulb went off. And she said, I've been thinking about something very similar for my teacher trainings and other things. And so I'll let let her tell you this part. So when Callie kind of dropped what I'll call the magic bomb, (laughs) I was so excited because in front of me, not only did I have, of course, a professional writer and journalist, I had somebody who I think I thought very quickly we could do a project together. So I had said to her, you know, I maybe I've been leading yoga teacher training for the last 15 years in my lineage and somewhere around year five or year six. I just was struggling to find a companion to this 2,000-year-old text that would really support young teachers, new teachers, and even students to kind of dismantle and unpack a, a very dense scripture. And so I had been trying to kind of write this companion workbook in my mind for a while. I even took a vacation in 2013 to Sedona and went and sat all by myself, rented an Airbnb, which I had never done, left my family to write the book which was a totally, totally silly idea because I wrote basically a seven or eight page introduction in the week's time. And, you know, I just was really frustrated. I didn't really know how to go about it, but it had been going, you know, the idea was in my head for quite some time. So when Kelly made the introduction to her concept, very quickly, the shape of this book started to appear. Kind of come together. Yeah. So it's really the intention for me was really to be able to have something extremely accessible and tangible, not only for teacher trainers, but really anybody who wants to understand a very systematic approach to reducing fear, reducing pain and uncovering joy and like really, really living moment to moment in a much easier, happier way. Right. And then our writing process was, um, it was really interesting. We would meet together in, in my office every day for several hours a day. And at first we would just read through the sutras and I would say to Amy, don't think about writing, just talk to me, tell me what what this means to you. And I would take these furious notes and then we would go through it again together, go through my notes and pick the thread or the theme that we wanted to really focus on because they are really dense. We could write six versions of, you know, the commentary, but we really wanted to make sure it was modern and accessible and then really try to help readers make it personal and relevant to their life. So it's not just a book you read and stick back on the shelf. I think about the Yoga Sutras. I was actually had an interview yesterday and I was giving the the metaphor of jumping out of an airplane. I asked the group, how many of you have ever jumped out of an airplane? And in the group of 20, one person raised their hand. And I said, okay, other than this person, none of you know what it's like to jump out of an airplane. I'm, I'm going to tell you what it's like. I've done it twice. So I described it in detail. I told them what it was like to practice tandem on the ground, what it was like to get strapped in, what it was like to take the 13,000 ride up and what it was like to free fall and jump. And I embellished it quite a bit. 
And then I said, see, now, now you know what it's like to jump out of an airplane, but you really don't. You don't, we don't know it until we've actually tasted it. We can have an idea, but until it's integrated and we have the experience, we don't know. And that's, I think, how many of the ancient texts that describe the classic approach to yoga or even texts that are talking about other spiritual disciplines, mm -hmm. their ideas and their concepts, and they can be very difficult to understand until you find a way in which to actually plug them in. Right, which is why we included the exercises and the journal prompts. So if you want to just read it and understand the concepts, great. If you want to really apply it to your life and jump out of the plane, so to speak, then you can do the journaling and the exercises that we include for each one. So, so let me just ask a really basic question then. If I'm just a total yoga dummy, what are the sutras? Like what are they in just everyday terms? And then what are some tangible, applicable ways we can practice them in our everyday life? Great question. So the word sutra itself is probably important to understand. It means suture, like a thread. And so the title of this ancient text is the thread of yoga. And what does a thread do? It connects things together. So in 196 sentences, 2000 years ago, a systematic approach to enlightenment was outlined essentially. And in the classic text, there are four portions, four books or what we might refer to as four chapters. And Kelly and I decide to focus on the first two chapters and just the very beginning, the first three threads in the third chapter. And within this time, we are given an introduction to what consciousness is, how the mind actually works, and how it's the mind that's getting us in trouble. Mm -hmm. Two, we have ways that we see the world based upon our previous experience. And those previous experiences are really shaping the way we live our life. And three, that if we understand how our perception is shaping our life, we understand we can actually change our perception. And the Yoga Sutras do that from a sort of moral and ethical standpoint, as well as personal disciplines that we would call more spiritual, like practicing meditation, mm -hmm. working with the breath, dealing with how we respond. One of the main topics in the book actually is learning to uncover the difference between our, our, our true nature and the way that we're kind of stuck in our own cycle of habit. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell, because in modern day, I think we tend to think of yoga, although we're both yoga practitioners on the mat, I teach a physical practice every day, but Monday to my students. So it's not to say that that's not yoga, but it's one tiny thread of yoga, the physical practice. And so this is really the entirety of what yoga was meant to offer off the mat. And so most of it is about psychology. Right. And that I think was really interesting for me is that I was really struck by how ahead of their time the ancient yogis are, were. They're talking essentially about things like the power of habit and how we get triggered by habits. They're talking about the happiness advantage and the importance of gratitude and things that neuroscience, social science, and psychology have actually now proven. So the second part of your question was, how do we put this into practice in everyday life? So you know, there, there are tons of ways, but some of my favorite, um, really is gratitude practice is really important. So we don't do in our house, we don't do bedtime prayers with our, my son, we do bedtime gratitudes and everybody has to go around and say one thing that they're grateful for, which my son is three and a half. So, you know, sometimes that's ice cream and playground time, <laughs> <laughs> it's very, not very big, 
but he's learning the practice. One of my other favorite ones, the, the yoga sutras talk about cultivating the opposite. And basically what Patanjali is saying is that you're not going to get rid of the negative thoughts in your mind. You're not just going to clear them out. That's not how the brain works. What we have to do is crowd them out with more positive thoughts. And so we talk about in the book, we ask readers to think about someone who really frustrates you or is disappointing or angers you, someone who's difficult in your life. And then once you have that person in mind, what are what is one way or more than one way that they've been good to you, something that they've brought into your life that's positive. So for me, you know, my mom and I sometimes butt heads and I, whenever I'm starting to get frustrated, I think, okay, my mom taught me to read. My mom gave me this love of books. I am a writer entirely because of my mother and it's something I love. And that always helps me just kind of, um, when I can think about that, I can feel kind of less frustrated <laughs> with whatever's going on in the present moment with my mom. So, you know, that's, I think there's lots of practical, applicable, applicable things that people can learn outside of the, you don't have to be a yogi to do this at all. One of the things that I love to see happening with my students using the Ashtanga system is how empowered they start to feel. And going back to the idea of psychology, as we know, most of the way we perceive our life dictates the actions that we take and the choices that we make. And a lot of the work in the sutras and in this text in particular, our, our book in particular, you have the opportunity to revisit, what do I think about this? We ask, we ask the readers at some point to make a, a little note that maybe their younger self would have told them mm -hmm. and their older self would tell them different things. And you, you start to kind of investigate if I took a step back a little bit further, what would I really want to say to myself? And you start to uncover the power that each of us have to begin to feel more empowered and to feel like we can have control and direction in our life. Right. So who doesn't want that? Right. Because <laughs> ultimately yoga is a perspective shift, right? You know, physically on the mat, you're twisting your body and in a new way or you're literally looking at the world upside down. And then I think this is the companion side of that like what how can I look at life and with a different perspective that might bring me more joy and purpose than getting stuck in this cycle of frustration or negativity or confusion about what to do with my life's purpose mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. so let's go into that I mean how did you get into yoga I mean each of you can take a turn obviously but how'd you start your practice with yoga and how has it changed over the years how did it become your passion well, I was introduced formally to yoga, this is Amy, when I was in college in 1995. I was studying theater and part of our program, which isn't surprising, I guess, anymore that colleges have yoga or that people right. have yoga, but this was very specific to actors. And the program was designed really for young actors to be in their body a little bit more and to be aware of how they moved on stage or on film. And it was a physical discipline to you know, get young students really focused in their body. However, I had been interested in like Eastern philosophy and occultism since I was a teenager. I had been reading yoga books and Eastern philosophy books. I picked up Be Here Now when I was 11 years old. Wow. And I don't know why, I'm not sure why. I was raised Catholic, but I was really attracted to Eastern philosophy. So I'd been doing self-taught yoga as a teenager. And then in the 
mid nineties, I was introduced to, which I didn't know at the time, a master. So I was very lucky to have my first yoga teacher be, be a master. He's one of Iyengar's students and um, had been teaching already at that point, 30 or 40 years. And during that time, I became really enthralled with what the philosophy was saying about life at, you know, at the age of 20. And so I continued my studies after I moved from Chicago to New York City, where I continued to study theater. And living in New York City, I had exposure in the 90s to you know some of the best yoga teachers that that really helped cultivate and move yoga forward to what it looks like today. So I just kept digging around and continued studying yoga, became a yoga teacher in my 20s, opened my first yoga studio at 27. And it was a very, very organic process for me in the sense that I didn't know I would A, become a yoga teacher, B, become a studio owner, or C, employ 25 people after right. in, in 15 years. But it was the thread that stayed for me was always my interest in psychology and the mind. So the physical practice has been threaded in for me very consistently, but the psychological practice was actually the fundamental part of yoga that attracted me. Yeah. And, and yours was kind of opposite. It was totally opposite. And I think I had a much more um, common intro to yoga. I think most people come to yoga to change something. And, and typically, I think it's something physical, right? So back pain or whatever. So I had, had a very on again, off again practice. And I started training for my first long distance road race. And I knew I needed something to counterbalance the long distance runs. So I started a very consistent, regular practice as part of my cross training. And, you know, I, I came to the mat looking for looser hamstrings and I stayed on the mat for the entirety of the practice. And it was very, um, you know, as my practice got more consistent, it was incredibly important as I also started to then transition out of my job. I was working at USA Today at the time. And I loved it in a lot of ways, but I needed to make a change that really helped me focus more on writing and less on the editing. And I decided to quit my job and try freelancing, which felt like this huge leap. So yoga was instrumental in kind of making that decision for me. And when I quit, somebody, another freelance writer I knew gave me some great advice and said, you know, make sure you do something every day to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sure. So um, I was teaching step and sculpting classes at a gym and I would studio hop in my own practice. And my boss at the gym knew this. And he said one day, he goes, we're, we're having a training, a yoga training. Don't, why don't you come and do it with us? And that way you can teach yoga. And I thought, okay, sure. So I went through the initial round of their training and then decided it wasn't the training I wanted. And I spent a long time looking for the one I did want. Um, but I started teaching yoga at the gym and it was kind of funny. The yoga and the writing have been intertwined for me in, in ways I don't think I really recognized until recently, but it was 2009 and things were not going well in the journalism world. Magazines were closing, editors were getting laid off. And I was kind of freaking out. And my boyfriend at the time, now husband, said to me one day, well, if you weren't a journalist, what would you do? And I do not know where the answer came from, but I said I would be, I would open a yoga studio. And it was the first time I had ever even thought about it. <laughs> but then once I did start to think about it, I started to look at my neighborhood really differently. 
And I ended up finding this beautiful space. Well, it actually wasn't beautiful at the time, but we made it beautiful. And I opened up um, Past Tense in Washington, D.C. And have that opened in 2009. And thankfully, I still am a writer and a journalist. So, and the studio and is still I, open. And the studio is still open. And so, yeah, I still run the studio and write and, I don't know, find a way to balance it all. So you run it so, remotely? I do. Yeah. Wow. What's that like? Yes. And I actually, we lived in Switzerland for three years after I opened the studio and I ran it remotely then too. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it is, it's, it was challenging in the beginning. Um, I have the best staff ever, the best management ever. And so when we were in Switzerland, I would come back for, you know, two weeks at a time, probably once a quarter. And I would just take lots of classes and have lots of coffee with instructors. And now it's a lot easier. Um, I go every six to eight weeks and for shorter periods of time. And yeah, and I have, I just, like I said, I have a great, I have great staff. So, and they're, you know, giant shout out to them because they're used to me juggling both jobs as it is. And my manager, I'll say to him, his name is Dan. And I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm on deadline for the, for the New York times or for Martha Stewart living or, Oh, and I can't, I can't, can you just handle this? And it was tenfold with the book when we were working on that. And so, um, Kelly and I really on some level, I would almost call it full time for, for yeah. five months. We worked full time. I would show up at our office Somewhere between nine and 10, mm -hmm. something like that. We'd have some coffee. We'd do our personal download, right. which was also extremely enjoyable. So you know, we had like, we had a built in like therapist yeah. <laughs> with each other, friend chat, friend yeah. chat. And then we, we would do our download and then we'd say, okay, where are we from yesterday? Where'd we leave off? Or, right. you know, it was kind of nice to have, I'd have a day where I think like, I don't know what to say about this part of the sutras and Kelly'd say, okay, let's just, let's skip that. Let's go ahead. And we really kept each other moving forward. Yeah. I absolutely wouldn't have been able to write this without her. Uh, yeah, it, right back at you. Yeah, not at all. So that was so much fun to yeah. have that exploration happen together. Yeah. Now, are, were both of you from New York for a while or just one of you? No, I grew up in New York and then I moved to D.C. right out of college and bounced around a little bit. And I grew up in the Midwest, but I spent all of my adult life in New York. So, but the, the, uh, that's a good story too. The likelihood that she and I would be sitting in her house in Madison right now is a pretty good story too, if you have time for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Like how did this happen? In the universe. The universe. I mean, yeah. we... She and I have, if we don't, if you don't believe in yoga, you have to, after some of these things mm -hmm. happen, she and I have a very similar kind of pattern in our life. I mean, we even opened our yoga studios on the, on the same day, just a few years apart. Yeah. I, I just a little ahead of Kelly, you know, like all these things. We, we both have a three, three and a half year old. So many things. Oh my gosh. My mom. So we had moved here from Switzerland and our son was five weeks old at the time. And my mom came maybe a month later to help me when my husband was traveling. And she got off the plane and said, I just met this woman. You have to be her friend. And she hands me a business card. And she said, she's the yoga instructor and she's pregnant and she's just about to have this baby. And she teaches prenatal yoga. And I'm so sassy. I mean, so sassy. And I looked at my mom and I said, Perhaps the child in the back seat would indicate to you that I no longer need prenatal yoga. <laughs> it's amazing my mom puts up with this. Moments before that, I had been landing on a regular flight that I was taking from New York, from LaGuardia to Madison, that I flew back and forth 
every month for the first week of the month while I was pregnant running my studio. I hadn't yet sold it when we moved here. And so sitting next to me was, unbeknownst to me, Kelly's mom, because we hadn't met yet at this point. And so like you do on a flight, you talk to the person next to you. And she had asked me, well, where do you live? In New York or in Madison? And I told her the story of going back and forth and that I was just recently transplanted to Madison. And so she handed me Kelly's card and said, well, my daughter's a yoga studio owner as well. You should be her friend. Yes. And so, of course, I put that card in my wallet and never did anything with it. And a year later, Kelly was in my yoga class here in Madison. And something, Amy, it took, it took, I was taking yoga with you for about six months. And then something Amy said triggered it. And I thought, oh my God, my mom met Amy and I just ignored her and shoved like Amy's card in my desk drawer. And I walked into the studio and I said, uh, Amy, about a year ago, were you on the flight with this grandmotherly lady who bored you about her family? And Amy said, yes. And I said, yeah, that was my mom. So at so, some point we were, so we were going to meet. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So yeah. Amy, I'd like to know more about your work in addiction and trauma therapy. Are there any tips you can share with our listeners who might be interested in working through these kind of issues via a yoga practice? Absolutely. So the last 10 years of my career took shape by working one-on-one with individuals that started out a lot with having students that would come to me and say, I have a lot of anxiety or I have a lot of depression. And they they felt comfortable coming to me because they had been my student for some time. And I started to, to develop a system that I call the balance point method. And in this system, there's an intake. It's basically an extended version of the sutras. I do in my work a lot of investigation, very much like you would think about talk therapy, but it's not based in a specific line of psychology, but rather getting the student to be their own investigator of what's going on in their life by learning how to reflect upon how they respond. And rather than me guiding it so much, the the tools give the students the ability to really be able to assess in a more neutral way how they're responding. So one of the things that yoga teaches is that, or the sutras say specifically, the mind itself is made of two parts. The mind has the mind of what Patanjali and yoga calls the seer, and then there's the part of us that's the seen. Now, we don't use those words in modern day, but it really means there's a part of you that can objectively understand and see something. And then there's the part of you, the part of us that we normally live in, the subjective reality. I really struggled with this concept. And I think the way we ended up describing it in the book is really helpful. If your friend paints their room yellow, their bedroom yellow, and you think, oh, that that's an ugly shade of yellow, that's not the objective answer, right? The objective reality is the room is yellow. The room is yellow. So that's the difference between the seer and the seen. That's right. So this the, the seer, and that's what a big part of meditation is. It's about learning to witness and see what's arising in the mind and what kind of is cycling through the mind. Mm-hmm. And all of us have some kind of, I'm going to use the word addiction, whether I have to be really careful. I'm a little bit of a workaholic. You know, I have to really, it's difficult for me on even my day off to say, okay, I'm going to put space to do this. I just said to Kelly before we started speaking to you, I've got to go take a yoga class today mm-hmm. because I, who have been working my, for myself mostly for the last 20 years, I'm on the work train. And so the train is going and we all have whatever our train is. Maybe the train is social media. Maybe the train is um, shopping addiction. Maybe it's literally addiction. Maybe the, maybe the trauma is, um, the addiction is due to a real trauma in, in life. And so 
no matter who I'm meeting with or how, however I'm going to approach this, we're going to start to take very basic looks at, well, what are the habits? What, what's going on? What are the triggers? Because all addictions, all habits are coming from some kind of trigger. And the yoga word for that is called samskara, which means there is a previous impression. And maybe the previous impression is of um, your, your ex-girlfriend who drove a yellow Honda. Well, there's yellow again. Who drove yeah. a yellow <laughs> Honda. And every time you see a yellow Honda, even though you know that that's not her, your stomach gets upset. You start to go through this whole thing starts to get pulled up. Well, of course, that's not really going on in the moment. It's just somebody else's yellow Honda, but it's so deeply rooted in creating a, a kind of trigger, a response that the, that the mind is producing out of a previous impression. And so I approach addiction or and the work of trauma therapy in starting to disentangle habit from desire. Mm -hmm. Habit is an interesting thing that when I first started doing this work, we tend to think of habit as usually something negative, like, oh, that's my habit. And we might think, well, it's a, if it's a habit, it's something bad. But in doing some of the work and research for the book, we spent some time actually talking about creating positive habits and how the positive habits are no different than a negative habit, just desirable. Right. Mm -hmm. But trauma, you know, trauma is trauma. There, We can have small trauma and we can have large trauma, but even small trauma affects us. And so how to slowly begin to identify what our part is in responding to something in the past is the work of yoga. And where what the cue is that triggers it. Then that, that's too. right. Right. And that you can do through a lot of meditation and just moving inward to be able to recognize it. Absolutely. I'm always really interested in people who are very Zen, how they spend their mornings. Like what is your normal morning routine? Each of you. We have three-year-olds. It's not Zen. I, li I like that you think that we're both probably really Zen. Well, for me, my morning routine, the one thing that is anchors me the very best is to get up in the house before everybody else, which is pretty easy. If my husband listens to this, he'll 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 know what I'm talking yes. about. But he's generally not up before eight thirty or Jealous. or maybe nine o'clock. And I'm a I'm an early riser. I during the school year, I have a middle age a middle school aged child. We're up by 5.30, and if I want to beat him up and do my practice and my meditation and set my day up in the morning, I'm going to get up at 5.15 or 5, a little before he will. And for me, getting into a space where I start my day in a way that gives me direction is one where I've had some time in the morning alone uh, to set an intention and to do a meditation practice. So we actually have in our living room a little altar, and on that is just a space where I have my own ritual that anchors me. I light a candle. I like to use cards, oracle cards, and write intentions for the day. I have a couple of my yoga books that sit nearby. And I'll generally spend 10 or 15 minutes doing a little bit of reading and a little bit of reflection and then quiet sitting. And that 40-minute that practice, 45-minute practice really, really anchors me for the day. And then my what you might think of as my classical yoga practice, that often happens in the middle of the day because then I'm on my way to teach morning classes. I have a a break from teaching most days during the week in the middle of the day. And so somewhere, if I'm going to get my practice in, it's usually after lunch, two o'clock, three o'clock before I teach evening classes. But my morning routine is the best thing for me is to, to get up early. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I get up. I do not start with meditation or anything like that. I try and beat my son out of bed and I need to move. So I run or I lift weights. I need to do something 
really physical to just kind of shake out the crazy. Literally. You know, see, this is important. This is one of the things that yoga teaches. So for Kelly, it getting her body moving is better for her. Mm -hmm. I'm moving so much that in the morning, being quiet and being really steady is is much more balancing. Right. So a lot of the approach of yoga is like, what kind of action is going to bring me back toward a greater state of balance? Right. Because like breeds like. If we like to move, if we're busy, we tend to stay that way. If we're sluggish, we tend to stay that way. So a lot of it is about doing the opposite. Right, right. So do you have any tips for people to carry just a little more Zen into the non-yoga parts of your day? Well, we talk about having reminders throughout the day. Yes. And different reminders could be like an object. I, I'm sitting in Kelly's office right now, and she has these three, are there three beautiful prints and different images from Paris. Mm -hmm. And well, I'll let her talk a little bit about that. But I know that this is one of her kind of spiritual reminders. Right. It is. And, and it was kind of unconscious, unconsciously set up. But for me, Paris is a place where I was, when I got to go there very regularly, when we were living overseas, it was the place where I was very free and loose. My schedule wasn't quite as crammed as it is now. And I would just wander the streets. And so it, it, for me, it's this place of adventure, but also of freedom in my schedule and in my life. And I unconsciously, I have two prints. I have this old vintage map of Paris. And then I have a very modern, bright, colorful one that's much more abstract hanging in my office. And then I have these really cool vintage soda bottles that I bought at a flea market there. And I didn't even realize this, but uh, when Amy and I were working on the book, we were talking about where, where we felt good and, and at peace and easy. And Paris is the place for me. And so I realized that I've unintentionally set these cues up. Um, so I think, again, this is reinforcing good habits and good states of mind. Just something is going to trigger you. Something is your cue. And so what are the positive cues? How can you find them? And for some people, it might be smells, right? Like having an aromatherapy machine going in your office with a smell that takes you someplace. Um, maybe it's for me, you were asking about morning routine and I'm, like I said, I have to move, but I, it, it, on my calendar, on my iPhone every day at five o'clock, it dings and says meditate. And that's all it is. So I literally set up a cue to remind me to meditate every day. Now I don't always do it every day, but at least, <laughs> at least the, you know, intention is there. And if I get half the days in, that's, that's a good day. You know, we all know what it feels like to go down the so-called rabbit hole. Right. Right. You know, there's, you can feel the spiral happening, whether it's, we're freaking out or we're feeling sort of anxious mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it might be, or angry at something. And, you know, you can, there's a part of each of us when that happens, you can either let it take you mm -hmm. or you have to have a really substantial tool that's going to take you out. Right. And so developing these little tools, sometimes it's like a five minute breath break. Right. You know, to reset, to get out of the beginning of the spiral is one of the best ways to get back into Zen because we, we actually do have the power if we know that we have the power and we have a tool to kind of unhook. Mm -hmm. I think also simple things like we both work from home or our studios, sometimes just getting out of that space for lunch, taking a walk around the block can get you, give you that little refresh that it actually makes you able to do the work a little bit better, a little bit faster, or whatever, more efficiently. But I think sometimes stepping away from the place too can be 
a really powerful way to refine your zen. We've both spent time separately in, in Europe, as you can hear. And I remember if I learned anything from the Italians, <laughs> it was how to take time. Right. You know, and how to, I think we, we don't know how to do that. I, I, as you are there in Brooklyn, I worked in the city for close to 20 years. Yeah. And the pace, when I first started working in my 20s uh, professionally, you know, I got to my I got to my job at nine in the morning and I was there till seven at night. And that was totally the culture to work mm-hmm. like that. Now, I didn't have kids yet. And I was I was married, but both my husband and I were, had these careers that we were focused on. And it didn't seem crazy then to have dinner afterwards and get home at 11 p.m. And I was on that. You know, you get into whatever that routine is. But ultimately, we have the ability to say this is this isn't quite right. right. I'm, I'm reminded of um, a woman that I worked with who was an herbalist in the late 90s in the city. And now this was, of course, before we were all texting and we had, you know, we were, of course, there was Internet, but an email. But there wasn't we weren't on our phones the same way. And when you called her office to make an appointment, I am not kidding you when her voicemail said this. It said, good afternoon. If today is not Wednesday, I will be returning phone calls on Wednesday. And now that might be extreme, but she set the standard for the people around her that one day a week she returned phone calls. And I just remember thinking, wow, can you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Setting boundaries. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing. So, you know, setting boundaries creates Zen. And we have to know how to do that for ourselves. Right. This is all so much great information. Can you guys please tell everybody once again the name of your book, your website, social media? Where can everybody find you both? So the name of the book is Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kelly Donardo or on my website, which is kellydonardo.com. If you're in D.C., you can go to the studio and the website there is pasttensestudio.com. And you can find information about my travel schedule and my retreats on my website, which is my local studio in Madison, Wisconsin now. And that's Tantra Madison, T-A-N-T-R-A, Madison.com. And um, one of the other fun things that I get to do for my job is travel the world by leading retreats. So I'm usually out of the country two to three times a year leading retreats. And most of the retreats are focused on exactly what we've been talking about. They're investigative they're somewhere beautiful. They're often more restorative than they are meant to be like powered down. I mean, right. we'll work, but it's really about resetting and, um, and, you can recharging. F- and recharging. And yeah. you can find me on Instagram too at um, Amy Pierce Hayden. So I have just one more question for the both of you and then I'll let you go. Go for it. Okay. We ask this of everyone that appears in the podcast. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Ooh, I can tell you who it was, but I'm not sure what the song was. So I have this new, um, if you don't have it yet, my friends, it's called SoTubes and it's Sonos on YouTube and you can play on YouTube right through your Sonos. There's my plug for that. And so what I do every morning to start working on new playlists, I was just in my studio office. I typed in Coldplay. And so I listened to the best of Coldplay right before I got here. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, my son is in the middle of a big music revolution and so, or exploration. And so I'm, my guess is that it would have been Michael Jackson, um, or Queen cause he really likes under pressure for some reason. <laughs> you know, that's a great song and Queen has inspired the Fit Bottom Girls to exist in the first place. So I think that's a great place to land. 
Oh, I, I love that. Can, can you tell a minute story about that? Yeah. There's a song called Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. Uh-huh. And so Jen like turned it around very cleverly and they it became Fit Bottom Girls. Now we have Fit Bottom Eats, Fit Bottom Zen, but everything in the Fit Bottom Worlds you can find at fitbottomgirls.com, including this podcast. Love it. Fantastic. Thank you both for appearing on the show Thanks today. Thanks so much for having us, Cargo. Yes, thank you. We had a great time. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.